Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Stu and Blake. Right, quickly, before we get on with the episode, we've got an announcement. The MMA Fan Podcast is now sponsored by Free Train. Blake, what's Free Train? Free Train is a fantastic company that do these amazing vests for when you run, when you train. Whether you're going for a run or hitting the bag, you can keep your phone close to your chest. And uh, yeah, they're brilliant. They've got a little pocket for your keys. You No more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket or at an awkward angle on your arm or anything like that. You've got the vest on. Phones there, easy access to it. They do some great uh, gloves as well to keep your hands warm and be able to touch the phone and everything. It's all linked up with your phone. So, yeah, they're a fantastic brand. A couple of pockets for your keys, everything you need when you go for a run or if you're hitting the bag training. And you're not just saying this for the sake of it. Before they even become our sponsors, you had one of these vests, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I've, well, I've still got it. I run with it all the time. But yeah, before they became our sponsors, I had one of these vests. They are genuinely brilliant. I really like them. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased they're our sponsor. And if you want one, if you head over to freetrain.com, when you go shopping and you put all your stuff in your in your basket, just before you check out, if you put in the code MMAFAN, you'll save yourself 10%. Don't say we don't spoil you here on this podcast. 10% off an amazing vest from Free Train. www.freetrain.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we've got another sponsor to tell you about. Phil Supreme. They're a nationally recognized brand who offer only the very highest quality of natural supplements. Their extensive range includes a range of medicinal mushrooms, nootropics, anti-aging products, gut support products, green powders, vitamins, and much more. Yep, they've worked with fighters from all the top promotions, including UFC, Bellator, Brave, and Cage Warriors, with a solid reputation of providing results. So check them out on Instagram, which is at Phil underscore Supreme or their website, www.philsupreme.co.uk, and make sure you use the code MMAFAN for a cool 15% off your first order. Don't say we don't spoil you. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin. Joining me as ever, Blake Harrison. How are you doing? I'm very good, mate. How are you? 
I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm uh, I'm hyped for today's episode. Who we got? Oh, we have got the Welsh dragon, Mason Jones. Very I mean, exciting. The, it's a good one, isn't it? I mean, it, we, 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 we get an insight on this episode into a lot of the kind of financial elements of being a fighter. Um, I think it's, you know, probably in the second half of the, the podcast, and it is fascinating. You know, I ask a, a pretty loose question um, about bonuses, and then Mason is really, really open and honest and gives a real concise breakdown, doesn't he, of, uh, of, of how yeah. much it costs to, to live your life as a fighter. Yep, absolutely. It's 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 really insightful, really fascinating stuff. So look forward to that. And then also there's there's the usual kind of a uh, little bit of banter about uh, his days in uh, the clubs of Newport with his friends <laughs> and and also what led Mason to choose uh, mixed martial arts as his mixed martial arts, I should say, as his uh, career of choice. And uh, we also delve into uh, his uh, UFC career. I mean, he's he's the fir- the third ever dual weight cage warriors champion uh the first being dan hardy then uh some guy called conor mcgregor and then mason jones we didn't actually necessarily talk about that as much as his ufc uh yeah. two ufc fights because they've been they've been fascinating he, he, he had his first loss in his ufc debut how he's come back from that and how he felt leading up to that fight and the fact that he felt like something wasn't quite right with him as he led up to that fight and then this really unfortunate second fight in the ufc where he was steamrolling alan patrick and looked like he was about to win that fight very very comfortably and get his first ever ufc ufc win and um unfortunately that was taken away from him because of a, a, an accidental eye poke and it, it was turned into a no contest and so we talked to mason a little bit about that and uh, and what's next for mason as well absolutely should we just get straight on with it ladies and gentlemen here's mason jones hey mason how's it going man good good again yeah thanks for having me on um obviously big fan so uh yeah was not oh. invited on Thanks very much. Well, it's our pleasure to have you, mate. It's our pleasure to have you. Um, I suppose one of the things, the first things that we ask fighters usually is how you get into MMA. But I know from watching one or two of your interviews that you've had that question quite a few times. And as someone that sometimes, yeah. yeah, And as someone that's been on the opposite side of getting the same questions over and over again, I can totally appreciate that that gets a bit boring. <laughs> so I want to uh, just run down, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I run down for people listening a little bit of the answer to that question because they might want to know. But I know you, you started off in like a, a, a kickboxing gym, but it was more like self-defense, wasn't it? And then you kind of moved on from there to do judo, BJJ, boxing, Muay Thai, just anything to make yourself a better all-round Mate, that's fighter. that's actually the perfect order. <laughs> yeah, there you that's go. Exactly See, I've done my research. Um, yeah, there seven years old, I started training. Um, obviously, I'm 26 now, so it was a good 18 years I've been training. But um, yeah, freestyle kickboxing. Uh, I did judo on a national level, so I traveled a lot to compete with judo. Um, traveled all over Europe, um, competed in um, European Cup level, won the nationals once or twice, qualified for the GB team. Um, I qualified for the Commonwealth Games um, and was all set to go to the Commonwealth Games before I, I got injured again. Um, but yeah, I, I did a lot. <laughs> so was your aspiration then to maybe go and do kind of like the Olympic level judo or something like that? No, the only reason I did judo um, was because I was a kid. Um, I wanted to get a sort of wrestling base um, for MMA when I went back into it. 
but there was just no um, high level wrestling in the UK. So um, we started judo and like the main thing was just to compete, like the, 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 the level difference and the competing difference in judo to say anything else is well still it was a completely different level like olympic sports just have that that volume that nowhere else has like we go we compete and i remember i went away to a veterinary competition the ones to compete and there was 130 um competitors just in my weight category alone so it was something like what eight or nine nine fights just to a medal wow so so even going back at that point mma was where you wanted to take this yeah, um, the, like the, the kickboxing um, academy I started with, um, well, there was me, um, Joseph Duffy, Jack Marshman, Jack Shaw, Richard Shaw, um, just to name a few, all, um, all training out at the same gym. Um, and all of us ended up in the MMA route. Um, obviously, just a few, of, a few of them was just ahead of me. Um, well, all of them was ahead of me. Um, but, like, it was why, why I was wanted to do like I trained uh, and is why I like to win like I like being able to mix it up um, I always like the whole aspect of if you fight someone who's a better strike than you then you can always take him down fighting someone who's um, got better wrestling than you then you can always outstrike him and then um, if you're fighting someone who's got good wrestling and good striking then there's always the jiu-jitsu aspect of things and um, you can just control situations and then there's the variance in, in between and the, the time in between. And it is just like mental chess. Like I say this a lot, but it is mental chess. Like MMA fighting is, is, um, is an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. And uh, people see it as sort of savage and barbaric, which it is. Um, but it, it, it's also a be- it's also something that's beautiful to watch um, because it is out maneuvering someone. And it's not just about being able to run to someone, which happens a lot. It's a lot that is, is timing people um, I'm laying traps to people and making them fall into them. And when you you start seeing stuff like that, it is it is a beautiful sport to watch. So, what was it that made you go? This is what I'm going to attempt to make my career. Because a lot of people train in martial arts; they do it as either a hobby or just for self defense or, or for whatever reason they want to. What was it that made you go? this is what I want to really dedicate my life to and actually earn a living from this. So when I was uh, a kid, like we're talking five or six, um, I really wanted to be in the army. Um, it's what I wanted to do as a kid as I was running around. Uh, my parents always said I was always trying to fight everyone and then always running around with knives or guns and um, obviously not real ones. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, yes, I always wanted to, I always wanted to either fight or, um, or, or to be an army man. And um, they, they took me for a colorblind test when I was younger and I was colorblind. So the army thing sort of went out the picture and then uh, they ended up finding kickbox and I started competing. And um, like by the time I was probably uh, 11, uh, 11 or 12, um, like we saw like the UFC, um, the judo was going through and different things. And I remember sitting down with my dad and him saying, look, if, if you want to do this as a career, like there's there's ways you can and um we just sort of pushed for it and by the time i was 15 or 16 we knew i was good enough to do it um like i would even at 15 or 16 i was winning all the jiu-jitsu competitions around um i was competing at high level in judo um my striking was decent um from the old kickboxing but obviously i had a lot a lot of work to do and then um 
by the time I was 17, um, and I, just before the Commonwealth, I left judo, went back into boxing, um, uh, started doing a lot more BJJ, went to Brazil, trained in Brazil, come back, um, got my pro boxing license and pro boxed. And then um, I had a, um, three pro boxing fights um, with six cancelled bouts. So um, that, that got down to me a bit. And then um, just made the switch early just because of the cancel, like the, the trouble I had boxing, the, the amount of like pullouts and shows getting cancelled and different things. And yeah, definitely a good career choice. The, the time I switched back in May, I, I literally just, just caught it at, at the right time. Um, not saying obviously my ability didn't didn't uh, make everything happen, but I just I had a lot of opportunities. Um, like the shows, I st- I got on the Cage Warrior shows when they literally just started with the safe MMA improvement, and then um, I caught a I had five fights. Well, I had six fights in twelve months. Uh, I was pushing for seventh in fourteen. When um, I decided these are a couple of little niggles that would just sort of build up just from fighting so much, but yeah, six fights in twelve months, and that really was what what, what that's what really led the push. To be fair, and then um, when COVID settled in, um, if I'd already been signed to the UFC, I wouldn't have been able to fight. Um, but the way it was, Cage Wise was the only shows putting events on, and um, it was I was literally just peeking ready for a title fight, and. Um, and then it happened, and then obviously um, the welterweight title I asked for, um, and I, I won the welterweight title as well. So that's that that aided my well. That's what that's what resulted in me getting signed to the UFC, and um, everything just sort of fell into place perfectly for me. I just want to sort of go back a little bit and uh, and to them early kind of kickboxing matches and, and and early judo competitions and stuff. Was you always someone that was? comfortable with confrontation and and you know was was you confident in them situations like in them early early scraps before you get into sort of MMA uh, I was always comfortable it's always something I wanted to do like um, I, I've always been one of those who sort of like uh, just thrived in the chaos of it um, I've always loved the violence side of things like um, some people are martial artists in this sport I'm, I'm really not like I'm just a fire but um, uh, obviously like the judo competitions, I was nervous. I really struggled with the judo. Like, um, I was nervous because it was never something I was really good at. And um, it was always something that I, I had to work harder than everybody else to do. Like, some, one of my friends I trained with, um, who was just a natural at it and really could have done something special with judo, um, it was just a lot of the political side of things when it goes down to the sport that really um, sort of chewed him up. But me and him would train together and then we was but we was the same weight and um, I remember he picked stuff up instantly and I would just have to <laughs> hammer it in to pick these things up because judo was just not something that just I wasn't actually good at. But um it was something I knew I really needed and um my my fights moving forward just made such a big difference. And just like the competing at that level is just sort of it's helped so much. Um and definitely like I, I wouldn't be the fighter I am today if I hadn't done it. So it's one thing to be good with confrontation when you're expecting confrontation. You're going into a pre-organized fight or a tournament, a competition, whatever it is. Girls, where did you grow up, Mason? And was that a place where you had to maybe be prepared for confrontation outside of those things? <laughs> <laughs> you definitely watching my other interviews. Um, yeah, so I grew up from um, a, a local town in Wales. Um, it's a small town. I think population now um, it's either five and a half thousand or six thousand people. It's not very big. 
Um, but uh, to be fair, like we'd go out, we'd have a couple of scraps, nothing really big. Like as kids, you do now and again, it was nothing really serious. And then when we started going out, we started going out to Newport, which is one of the newest cities, like 17. Um, we started going out and um, we would, we'd, we'd fight a lot. <laughs> um, like I, I've never been a big drinker either. Like um, I was usually the one who was driving. I normally try the boys and look after the, the, the boys more than anything. Like because I was competing so much, um, I just made the choice not to drink um, for different reasons. I, I went now and again. Um, I stopped drinking completely when I was, well, four years ago when I was 22. Um, before then, I would only spring, um, drink sporadically. Like I think one time I went like 18 months without drinking. And then uh, I ended up um, getting drunk at a party and then saying I was never going to drink again and different things like that. So um, Yeah, we've all been there. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Um, like we started going out in Newport and it was just sort of like we, we, we just ended up fighting all the time like we went out we used to go as a big group so um, there was literally all the boys from town so there used to be about 20 or 30 of us would go out and um, me being the sober one I was always the one who would like dra- trying to drag the boys out of trouble and different things and a lot of time we just end up scrapping all the time so um, uh, yeah we used, to, we used to fight a lot and like some <laughs> we never never actually um got in big trouble for the fights which is lucky but um, I think it was just more like the time we was at like I don't, I, a lot of stuff I don't think we get away with now but um, yeah we used to fight a lot and I mean like some of the fights we had we've had like 30 on 30 brawls <laughs> in the wow. middle of Newport yeah in the streets um, I fought three boys on my own before <laughs> um, I did good as hell in that one. One of the, I remember one of the boys was laughing because um, one of my friends got punched and I'd literally just been walking my judo coach back up to a taxi rank to get a lift home and um, he, he caught a taxi because um, obviously my friend was just a bit too much and as we walked back down I walked in and one of my friends just had a broken nose and I was like what happened to you and he's like oh someone just headbutted me I was like look who and he pointed out this big group of boys <laughs> so I grabbed one of the boys like oh come on so we went across and um one of the boys looked at me and we just started scrapping and um uh my friend I was with just got punched and another boy was with run and away so we got kicked out the two of us and then um, he went strolling up up the road like complaining about his no- um his nose where he got, his eye where he got punched and um I turned around and these three boys <laughs> these three boys came out and I remember I was just like oh come on and if we're gonna go let's go so um he said he turned around and he said you just hear me laughing fighting these three boys like I had one of the tight clinch just dropping knees while the other two were just trying to blast me in the side of the head like I've, I've always loved loved a good scrap and um, like it's never really been a problem for me like I've always been good with my hands and I've always been, been able to take a good shot and um, like I've, I've never never like I've never been an arrogant person but I've never been afraid to stick up for myself and um, like as weird as it sounds, I've always tried to live a moral life. Like um, I've never hit, never hit someone first unless I needed to. And um, the only time I've ever done that is when obviously I felt threatened. Um, and I, I've always tried to live on that whole, that whole respect motto. And um, to be fair, it's just like the older I got, the more I found it was more um, just sort of um, throwing people and sort of warning people would help a lot better than just sort of ended up getting in fights and like the amount of times I've ended up um, begging people <laughs> please just to leave situations and as soon as people have a drink they, they don't really they don't really listen but um, it was one of the reasons I stopped going out so much um, I ended up sticking up for a friend of mine um, one of my friends I literally just had shoulder surgery and um, uh, I had 
uh, rotator cuff surgery and um, I'd only been two weeks out of sling and this was one of the reasons I stopped judo was um, I didn't know whether I'd be able to go back in. So um, really uncertain point in my life. Um, I went out locally and um, there was a, a friend of mine, like he was only 18 um, at the time, and a friend of mine was going abused quite a lot. So he was going messages and different things off these group of boys, them telling him he was going to kill him, different things. And he was always tough. He'd always look after himself. I remember these two boys come down and they were a lot older than us. So we were 18, I think the one was 26 and the other one was 25. So like at that age as well, there's a big difference between 18 year olds and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, mid, mid twenties boys, like especially um, the guy was a little weasel at about 18. Um, I remember um, they were arguing and arguing and um, in the end, like a couple of us come around and I was like, look, but I was like, please just leave. I was like, we don't need it. I was like, but if you stay and you, you keep going down this route, I was like, we are going to end up sticking up, up for him. <laughs> I remember this guy looked at me and you could see the clogs going around his head and he swung at me and I hit him back and I broke his jaw in two places. Um, so I ended up having to go to the court route and different things. And that was probably the last time I ended up on the flight outside. Um, he pressed charges, asked him for compo and um, I got acquitted in the end. So um, I got um, excused all charges, different things. And um, and that really did like, it was, it, really did show like it was it was a different time from um, when we was really young like a couple of years ago like 16 17 when we used to scrap and it was all fun and games to when you're 18 and um someone wants to pay out and then they end up pushing and different things and like the one of the so one of the reasons i actually got excused um i acquitted was um a year after uh while we was waiting for the court to go through the boy that his jaw plated, um, and he beat up a 13 year old kid. Um, so he was 26, beat up a 13 year old wow. kid. And the boy's brother knocked his door, um, broke his jaw with a bat. So it makes it sound like I'm from a really rough place, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's not. It was just, um, it was like I just ended up bumping in, in like the, the, my friends, my friends just they're just wild. And like we went out, we, we enjoyed ourselves, we chased girls, um, we partied, um. But like I never did drugs. Um, I never. I was never. We was never that sort of type of group of friends. We never really. I know did drugs. I know a lot of people around my age were doing drugs at that time. We just sort of partied and, and like to go out and um, chase girls. And obviously, a lot of time when you're chasing girls, <laughs> you end up in trouble. <laughs> so um, that's the the main thing. But yeah, I um, like I I grew up a lot um, after after that. Like it it really did change change a lot for me. And um, it sort of made me realize that like if I wanted this future, like it wasn't enough to just train three, four times a day and sacrifice trips and parties. Like I had to sacrifice more. And, um, and that's what I've done. Like I don't drink, I haven't drunk for four years. And before that, I never really did. Um, when I signed the UFC, um, I give up every other hobby I had. So, um, I used to drive motorbikes. I stopped driving motorbikes. Um, I used to skydive a lot. I stopped skydiving. Um, I used to surf and different things. I stopped doing that. Um, anything that I was doing that could get me injured, I stopped doing. So like, like we used to do a lot of things, like we'd be jumping off um, bridges into rivers and different things. I stopped all that, like anything that could result in me getting injured, I stopped. And, um, like the conversation we had was like, I had with my parents and my girlfriend was, I'm 26. Um, I want to be looking to retire about 35. I've got nine years it's not a long time. No, it's not a lot of time to get things done. So, um, and those bridges will still be there for you to jump off of later. You know, bri- <laughs> you know, I'm sure the bridges uh, will be there, mate. The yeah, they're mate, built very um, the well. Skydi- the skydiving was a thing. Do you know what I mean like I used to love skydiving? Um, I d- 
to be fair, the time I um, was doing it, I didn't have much money. So I only, I think I've only done like 38 jumps. Um, so for skydiving world, that's like below a novice, but um, that's 38 solos. But um, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like, because I still want to do, like, I still want to buy a motorbike. I still want to do a lot of these different things. I used to surf a lot. I haven't done that for a while. Um, I was good at snowboarding and we used to go away snowboarding all the time and I've stopped doing that. So these things that you give up and they're things that, like, some of the things I probably get, I could get away with, like, um, I'm probably going to surf a little bit, um, especially if I end up moving out to California in the next year or so. I'll probably end up um, going on a surfboard and uh, going surfing again. But, um, I don't know, it, it's, it just, it's all about minimalizing risk. And um, really, like the more you sacrifice, the more you dedicate yourself. Like the, the better it is. Like I never stop going to the gym. Um, even when a fight's over, over, I may have like a week off, but um, straight back in the gym. You you can't have longer than that. I, I know some people uh, don't train unless they got fights coming up, and that's in my eyes is a massive mistake. Like the, you improve more in the off season than you do in the in season. Like all you do in the in season is sharpen and um, and tighten up what you already have. Like you're not learning anything new. And then um, the world is always changing. The, the fight game is always changing. There's always new new things coming out and new tricks and new, um, new well, rediscovered, as my coach used to say, rediscovered things that you need to get on top of that are sort of in fashion at the time. Uh, like you see in the fight game, it was calf kicks were a lot. Yeah. Um, the calf kicks and people just didn't know how to deal with them. And uh, that won me like three or four, <laughs> three or four of my fights. So, um, yeah, you just always got to be in the gym. You mentioned yeah. um, obviously signing with, with the UFC and, you know, you entered in the UFC a two-weight Cage Warriors champ. And, you know, that's uh, there's few and far between uh, how many people have got that. Well, it's there's three you, of us. Obviously, Connor <laughs> and, and, and Dan Hardy. Um, so what I want to yeah. ask you about is is how you deal with the weight of expectation and responsibility and, you know, you're, you're the lad from the Valleys that stepped into the UFC, you know, and you know that everybody is expecting to, you know, to see you go out there. Everybody's rooting for you. How does that, how does that hang on your shoulders? And talk us yeah. through a little bit more about the mental side of preparing for a fight. So actually that's something that a lot of people don't, don't really talk about and don't do much on. Um, I've done, uh, a lot of visualization stuff, especially in the judo. And then um, when I was pro, I did a lot more, um, a lot of visualization exercises, different things. We have um, goal boards, vision boards, and um, all these different things. So like I write my goals out. I visualize the nights um, after the training sessions. We visualize like you try and do as much as you can. But what's helped me more than anything, um, apart from the visualization, was just I train as hard as I can. and um, I have good coaches around me who can let me know when I can, I'm allowed to rest and different things. So that it's not all lying on my shoulders when it comes to that side of things. And I know that if I prepare the best of my ability and I'm feeling good, then um, when it comes to fight time, that there is no pressure. And I know that's a weird thing to come to, but I don't get nervous anymore. I just get excited. Like um, it took my coaches a long time to get used to because um, my coaches were just weren't used to someone who, like that because like, like, um, after weigh-ins, we won't talk about the fight because I need to sleep in the night, and um, otherwise I end up getting um, like just like a kid at Christmas and a jumping round and things. So we don't talk about the fight after weigh-ins, and then um, fight day comes and it's just all about keeping me calm for the longest time. So um, we just try and sit around. We, we have a little bit of a shake off just to get moving, but we don't really do anything, and it's just all waiting for the fight to happen. And um, 
like I remember my last fight, I was warming up and um, I just felt so good. <laughs> I felt so, so good. Like it's the best I've ever felt before a fight. And um, like when the fight happened, I was in control all the way through. I controlled the first round and I still felt like I was holding myself back, keeping myself about 40%. Like I hadn't started chaining my strap, my combos together. I just kept everything basic and everything quite singular. Um, I haven't really started putting my hands together and I was like, look, just wait and drain him out. And we we, we stuck the game plan perfectly. And then the second round, um, I took him down, which I didn't expect to do and really started to open that eye up that I'd split open. And then um, obviously as as we start as we started to come back up and I was like, all right, I'm really gonna really gonna start applying pressure to the strike and now I'm gonna look for that finish. Um I slipped off the shoulder and ended up poking him in the eye and uh, he found a way out. But um I felt so good and and like the precious side of things I just don't I don't see. Like I really don't get nervous and um it just doesn't affect me in, in, anymore. And like even the the welterweight title and the lightweight title, like I wasn't nervous. My UFC debut, I wasn't nervous. My UFC debut, I felt terrible. Um, I warmed up and it just, nothing was clicking, nothing was firing. I felt terrible and I still wasn't nervous because it was like, like if it's not your best day, you've, you've still got to perform and um, I didn't perform the way I should have and the way I could have but um, I performed enough to get a performance bonus but uh, obviously lose my uh, undefeated status even though that's a bit of a joke <laughs> I, I've heard you talk about this before with that 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 Mike Davis fight your first ever UFC fight yeah. you're 10-0 at the time and unfortunately you know you, you lost that one by a decision but I, I've heard you say <laughs> this this one you, I've heard you say you know that you, you didn't feel right Go, go walking to the cage and, and warming up beforehand and stuff. Had you ever experienced that before? That that feeling of of not feeling yourself, or like you haven't flipped that switch yet, or anything like? That? Have you had that before when going out for a fight, or was that a new experience? That you're like, oh, and you said you weren't nervous about it, which I find amazing that you weren't nervous. <laughs> you're about to go and fight some guy in your UFC debut, and you're like, I don't feel myself. That to me sounds incredibly nerve wracking, but you're clearly made of different stuff than I am. But um, I just want to. So, had that happened before to you? Was that, an, or was that a new experience? So, the only thing that was a little bit different on this one was um, my legs were so, just so fatigued. Like, I literally just couldn't move my legs. Um, it felt like I was just running through sand. Um, but that was the stuff we done in the prep, and like with the COVID regulations and stuff. Like, there's no excuses because there is no excuses in the fight game. But I made mistakes, and these are mistakes that have sort of affected me. And and it was just stuff that we had got used to before. But like with the COVID stuff and all, we couldn't do what we normally do moving into that like that two week period. Like I was in isolation for two weeks, so it was only certain sessions we could do. And like it was like. Um, 48 hours stuck in the room here and there's only so much we could do and then 48 hours here and different things so it, it made it a little bit more difficult but it's just things that um, I should have should have done better and that's the easiest way to put it um, but yeah it, I definitely fought fights like that I won fights where I felt terrible um, I fought uh, in Cage Warriors my fourth or fifth fight I fought a guy called Common Day in London and um, I fought I fought the fight with a broken hand um, so my hand was broken before the fight wow. So um, I come out and um, to be fair, it was one of my best learning experiences. It was one of the worst performances, <laughs> but a good, good learning experience because I come out, um, couldn't throw a right hand. So I was like, look, I'm just going to take him down and sub him. I was like, I'm a jiu-jitsu, I'm high level jiu-jitsu brown belt at the time. I was like, my rest is good. I was like, I'm just going to take him down and sub him. And um, I remember I picked him up and slammed him. Must have been five or six times. Every time I took him back down, he just managed to get scrambled straight back to his feet. 
And I remember coming back to the first round, I was like, fuck. I, was like, <laughs> I, was like, I picked him up and taken him down like five or six times. And I did the same in the second round, took him down. And um, I was just so tired. And um, after that, I, I changed, redesigned my wrestling game completely. So rather than going for these big flashy lifts and slamming people down, it was just sort of like trying to be more econ- economical and, and trying to just sort of minimize the F effort and sort of um, just be as efficient as possible. And uh, I went out to Team Alpha Mill and that was the first time I went out to Team Alpha Mill after that fight. And uh, yeah, it made... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A hell of a difference. Well, well, well tell us a little bit about how that... Um that happened, how you ended up in, in, in Team Alpha Male. And, 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 you know, you're talking about the, the age when, you know, you sit there and you say to your dad that this is what you want to do and your dad was, you know, supporting you in this decision. Like, surely back then, the fighters that you would have been watching would have been, you know, so many of the stars that have come through Team Alpha Male. Um, like, how was that? You know, how did that happen? And when you got there, how was it walking into Team Alpha Male? So 2018 was the first time I went to Team Alpha Male. Um, so I didn't even know how old I was then, like three or four years ago. So 21, I think. Um, yeah, 21, maybe a bit older than that. Anyway, um, so I was 21 go, going in. Um, so a friend of mine um, in Nad Naramani, who was also in the UFC, um, he's from the same jiu-jitsu family as me, sort of, I trained with him for years. Um, he'd been going out to Team Alpha Male and saying about how much of a big difference it made. So, um, like, my wrestling was, I realized my wrestling really needed work. Um, like, I was good from um, a lot of the judo stuff I did, but um, I was, ter- like, I just had a lot to improve on. So, um, I was like, look, let's go out to Team Alpha Male, see what it's like, and we'll go from there. So, um, I had a new uh, a sponsor from uh, the gym who um, who said they they paid for all the costs. They paid for my training fees. They paid for an Airbnb for me and one of my coaches could stay. And they paid for um, me and and two of my and one of my coaches and then my other coach self fund to come with us. So um, we went out. Um, we got to the gym. Um, we messaged the trainer Tam Page, and he was like, "Look, he's like, I'm running a little bit late. He's like, um, go up and." Um, 
he said someone will be there to meet you. So um, <laughs> I got there and um, Uriah actually came out <laughs> to meet me and um, he was like, oh, welcome to Tam. Asked a bit about, about me because he knew nothing about me and um, like uh, walked me across, asked me how long I was staying, different things. Um, said Dave, the guy who normally meets people, is just, um, he was stuck. Um, he was doing an, airlift, an airport lift for someone. So um, like he'd show me around. I was like, all right, no problem. <laughs> and then he took me across and um so this is when Cody had had the world, Cody Gar- Garbrandt had the world title. And I remember walking across and Cody was coming the opposite way and Uriah stopped to speak to him. And um, Cody looked at me and went, oh, hi, my name's Cody. And me and my coach just looked at him and was like, yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> it was like, nice to meet you. It's like, who in, who's, he's got a USC world title and he's introducing himself as if we didn't know his first name. And then um, uh, I remember Uriah saying to Cody, like, um, Oh, like it's his first time here, da, da, da. and um, he was like, "Oh, so Cody put his arm around me, walked me down to the mats, and um, the session was um, just getting ready for the session to start. The session was starting in thirty minutes, but people were there waiting, and um, he introduced me to everyone. And I think at the time, like uh, when I was training in in Team Alpha, then I think there was 18, 18 people fighting, all, all training on who was on the mats at the time who was in UFC. So it was like Cynthia, um, it was Cody Elkins, Feely. Um, it was loads. Uh, by the time I went through it, there was about eight, eighteen. There was a few of the Chinese, um, one or two of the Japanese boys. Um, uh, there were there was a lot. A uh, couple of a couple of people from different parts of America. Like there was ridiculous amounts. A couple of Bellator fighters, and um, they they were all sound, really sound. Like they wouldn't train me to start. <laughs> that was the thing. Like um, I started training, and then um, like I did not like didn't really know anyone. So I made sure I was making taking the time to like shake Evan's hand before all the sessions. And I remember it took me into my second trip before I really got, I got to train with like Darren Elkins or Andre or one of the the higher level guys because they like they just really care about who they train with because they don't want to be training with someone who doesn't really know what they're doing and then have someone in drum. So um, yeah. it wasn't until my second trip I really got to sort of train and spar with these guys. But um, just the the technical stuff we was doing is some of the coaching was just stuff I'd never done before. Like the, the wrestling, like 101 basics was just stuff I'd never done before. Um, but then like some of the, the advanced wrestling stuff um, that Uriah would teach was just a lot of judo that they they changed without a gi and um, it just worked well for me and then uh, I met a couple of friends out, out, out there um, people like um, Chris Gonzalez who was like a wrestling D1 wrestler uh, D1 wrestler who um, who like I was training with going well and then he was like look he was like come an hour before practice and we'll we'll drill through some of these stuff I've done and um, we did we'd turn up an hour before practice drill through stuff and then stay um, and train for an extra two hours after so um just make make the most of it and just push and that's the thing you can always do is just always try to improve and push you, you mentioned that that's amazing go on sorry Blake no I was just going to say like you know we it, it, we we hear a lot about like the kind of slight weird kind of cultural differences between even both English speaking countries and like one of the things that's always brought up is like oh the Americans don't get the British sense of humour stuff like that did you have any weird moments when you first went over where you know you're as you say we said like lad from the valleys Welsh guy guy from the UK like were there any moments where you had like weird interactions with like these American guys do you still do still happens um it's just stupid stuff so um we like go into a shop and order something now and they'll be like, um, sorry, sorry. And then one of the, my friends will like, 
people have to order for me because they just completely don't understand <laughs> what I'm saying. And um, Andre's one of the funniest. Like, we'll be having conversations and he'll just start shouting at me, just speak American over and over again, just because he finds it funny because he just, some of the stuff I'll say, especially if I get excited or if I speak too fast, they just don't understand anything I say. So um, it's still there. It's still there. But um, on the 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 comedy side of things like um a couple of boys from the gym um like mexican families they're unbelievably good laugh they'll take a joke so most of the americans are just fragile the fragile is the easiest way to prove like you can't say certain things like we would back home because they, they don't they they don't really take it like we met <laughs> like um like my family for, for instance like my, my mom's called me a bitch before like whereas in with the americans if you you call one of them a bitch they're like oh you like They'll, they'll take it like you want to fight with one of them and it's like dude do you know what I mean <laughs> my, like my friends are bad for Welsh people like the, the jokes they make is like savage considering for some of the, the the Welsh the Welsh friends I've got like um my actual group of friends like the the jokes we have are just sick but um you can't even get head away with some of the stuff we'd say out in public um, <laughs> with the with the angst. they just they just they just don't um they just don't appreciate it, I think. But then um, they are—they are more sensitive to certain things and certain things you can and can't say. And um, it's—it is—it is something I've learned um, that it's difficult to um, to have a, a joke and a laugh with certain pe- with certain people because they are quite sensitive, and you, you never want to offend people. But um, uh, to be fair, they like most most year I find like there's a lot of Canadians a lot of Mexicans um boys training in the gym and and they're the sort of they're they're quite the same this as uh, similar to be fair and well there's a couple of Aussies the Aussies are the same the Aussies, the Aussies are, the are same, sick yeah. as as sick as we are so um <laughs> yeah that, that it's just different um to be fair I went to LA over the weekend to watch one of my friends fight in Bellator and then um from the Bellator event I went out to San Diego to watch the Cage Warriors event and uh in, in San Diego, um, I was with two of, my, two of the Australians from the gym, um, Adam Corrigan and Tess. And um, yeah, that was a brilliant laugh because um, it was just us three. So um, we were just throwing jokes at each other and <laughs> seeing who, was, who had the sickest joke, to be fair. So um, they they were fine. Like um, they, they understand and their, their humour, Australian humour is quite similar to British. So it's fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Yanks are sensitive. Well, you mentioned, um, I just want to talk about um, sort of money for a second, really. And and you mentioned um, yeah. with Alpha Male, obviously you said you found a sponsor and stuff like that. And obviously to go and train and, and, and relocate to sort of California, it's expensive. expensive. <laughs> and so with, yeah. with, with that yeah. in mind, I mean, obviously we, 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 I don't want to talk about, you know, earnings or anything no, no, like I'm that. No, no, I'm fine. I'll talk about anything. I'm fine but, with um, that. I just wonder, like, when you're, when you're fighting, are you – is it in the back of your mind a bonus? Is that does that ever enter your head when you're fighting? I want that bonus. So, when um, when I first started in MMA, um, one of the things I really wanted to do um, because I I knew how well the UFC paid people and different things and and how expensive it was for different well just just to live life and. Um, uh, I always had um, conversations uh, with, with my old man different things, and he said, look, he said, one of the things you need to get out of your head is you need to make sure you don't fight for money. He said, um, if you get carried away with this fight for money thing, he said, um, 
he, he said, you'll end up falling into pits. He said, because you'll end up in that thing where you're spending money for fights and then um, you're fighting for money to survive and then you're taking fights you don't need because you need the money. So um, he said, look, he said, um, we'll, we'll, you need to do what you can to build up your online presence and different things just to get these sponsors and to build relationships with people to get these sponsors because if you can live a life um, where you're completely funded and you don't need to fight, then it takes away the stress of fighting and lets you just perform the best you can be. And um, I was getting to that place when I signed the USC and then I started coming out here a lot more. And then uh, California is stupidly expensive, so I started regressing a bit. And then um, now I've got two new sponsors coming on board, uh, hopefully, um, I'm just wait because they they all say yes, but until they actually put money into your account, um, I learned that a long time ago. Until they they they, they send the money, it, it, it's never really agreed because like I've had people promise me the world and different things and say they had all these big pipe dreams and then um, come down to it and then they're like, oh, um, this has fallen apart, we can't do this anymore. Or um, I've had people who I've I've had basically contracts with for like two year sponsorships and they've offered for more years and they're like, Oh look, if we knock down a little bit, can we do the two years? And I've said, and we've agreed. And then um, they've done one year and just stop it completely shut off. So like it, it, it's hard because people, especially when I was coming through cage warriors, people didn't really get back much out of it. It was just the support. Um, and that's where a lot of people don't see like it's, marketing it's not so much a marketing opportunity as it's just sort of helping someone out and my sponsors i've got at the minute now are, to be fair they just want to see me do the best i can and um and they're people who they do it for the tax loop or anything else but um they just want to see me do well but uh, yeah it is expensive and then um when you start getting to that fight um, thing because it's always nice to get a bonus especially if you get the extra 50 grand like it's a life-changing amount of money um but people don't, people just don't understand so um so for me, so um, I do the YouTubing thing um, as well. So I blog quite a lot. So I discuss a lot of my my financial side of things on there. Um, I'm on like my um, I end up when I fight. So like when I fought in Abu Dhabi, I had the um, I didn't win, so I had half my, my show money. So I had um, I had ten thousand. I had two thousand. I had what was it? Three thousand in Reebok sponsorship. And then I add the $50,000 bonus. So first thing at first is they don't pay them all at the same time. So after the fight, you get your, your show money gets paid instantly as soon as the fight's done. Your Reebok money turns up, um, I think it turned up like two or three weeks after the fight. And then my bonus money didn't turn up for two months. And then when the USC get around to paying it, it gets paid. And then um, when I first fought... I got paid into my personal account, which was a mistake. Uh, I didn't realize um, I should have really gone and seen a financial advisor before I'd fought. So um, they paid the dollars into the pound account. So um, I had fees from the bank for withdrawing money in dollars. And then the, they used the bank used their exchange rate to exchange the money, which was a lot lower than if I'd got an account for a dollar. So by the time we ended up with it all, um, I think... It was so much. So 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three, ten, three. I think I ended up with about thirty-eight thousand yeah. pounds, or a bit less, yeah. out of the six, out of the what, the sixty-three. I think it ended up with like either thirty-eight or forty-two, forty-two probably. Then I have to pay my coaches, and um, to be fair, my coaches had a good relationship with me, so they never took money through cage warriors. And I always promised when we got there that I pay them, so I paid them um, a decent amount of money. Um, I think after I paid them. Uh, I paid them all a couple of grand each just for the long-term thing and different things. And then um, my manager fees, um, like I had to pay my manager fees, different things. So I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that, so I won't. But um, that was a, a bit because um, they take a percentage mm-hmm. out of the whole amount. So um, I ended up paying them a percentage. And then um, I still had a decent amount of money left. Then by the time like you cover your cap fees from the last camp, um, I put money away in different savings account. I put money away in a pension. I put money away in a first-time buyer's account. And then I put money away here for something else. And when I looked at the money I had left, <laughs> I had like um, I had like 12,000 £12, pounds, which sounds like a brilliant amount of money, apart from the fact you've got to pay taxes. So it's like, it's all hell and good, but it's so easy to lose money on different things. And like, I was lucky enough to have money to throw away, but like, it's... If if you go in in the fights expecting like to make a lot of money in the, in especially in the early days of fighting, it's just it's not going to work out so well because by the time you start paying for different things and like the UFC don't pay for our medicals, we pay like on the contract I'm on, I pay for my own medicals and like my eye test before um, when was it? it was before Abu Dhabi um, because of I was fighting in January. Um, they they wanted me to hang on, and they said, "Look, yeah, yeah, your medical's done in January." And then because of the COVID rules, um, we needed to, to be we needed to fly out on the sixth or seventh of January. And Mon- uh, I sure it was something like Monday the first was a Friday, so it was closed. The second was a Saturday. The third was a Sunday. The fourth was a Monday, um, and then the fifth was a Tuesday. So there was nothing open on the Monday so I had everything to do on the Tuesday and then we had to leave on the Wednesday so I was trying to get eye tests booked up and these medicals booked up and different things and just nowhere was open at the time because everyone was coming back after New Year's so we ended up finding um, my manager ended up finding a place in London to do it and I turned up and it was honestly it was an eye centre in London that was like completely private and like everyone in there was screaming money and I remember they ripped me off so bad because I remember I sat down in the chair and then um, like it was like oh um, your man just said you got a USC fight coming up and I was like yeah yeah it's my debut going away and um, he was like oh so um, these needs to be done these needs to be done today and I was like yeah I need it done today I was like um, I've literally just got to stay here until it's done and I'm sure he started rubbing his hands together when I said that because they ended up um, I think the total they charged me for an eye test that should have charged me um, probably the most I would have paid would have been about £400 because um, you have to do like a you have to see a specialist to get done 
they charged me, uh, I think, all together, I spent two grand. Wow. What? For different things. They, they were just adding fees on left, right, and center. They made me see two specialists. I had a tiny little scratch um, through the corner of my eye where um, one of the boys had added, but it me in training and it didn't need stitches. And they, um, <laughs> they, he sent me to a different specialist to get it checked. And I said, look, he said, I don't need that done. I said, I just need the form signed off. He said, oh, he said, I can't really in true consciousness sign this off until you've seen a specialist and my colleague signs you off. And I'm like, and then it was like, I had to pay like 500, 500 pounds for the specialist to come in early just to see me. And then um, they charged me like 300 pounds for him to literally just put me under a, under a, like a, a magnifying glass, peel the scab off the tweezers, open it up, tell me it didn't need stitches, which I already knew, close it back up, put butterfly stitches on. And this was like literally where I was waiting to fight as well. So like they, they, they slowed the healing process down on my eye, different things and, and all these different processes and different things. And it was just like, I just, I was just literally in the end, I was just laughing. Like I just need to, I just need to get signed off. And then um, I ended up paying, like, like I said, two grand to get my eye test done because they literally just took me for as much money as they could. And then um, I remember speaking to my parents back home and they said, Oh look, we're sorry. I was like, look, I was like, there's nothing to do about it now. I was like, just, I was just laughing in the end. And then I remember <laughs> right at the end, I'd already paid. Yeah. So I'd already paid two grand. And, um, I went and they was like, oh, can you just see the receptionist on your way out? So I went to see the receptionist and she was like, oh, so um, the doctor's left notes for you. And he said, it's got £350 charge for him to take all the information and just collect it together. So on top of everything I'd done, just for him to, to agree to finish signing the form, he charged me an extra £350 on top, just to sort of like, just as I think it's just an extra fuck you on the way out. Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, so... Like, like people don't see that type of things and they don't see like the different ways where you just get, you just get money taken off of different things. And um, like these eye tests come in um, after Bispin, obviously I, it's definitely after the Bispin thing because um, I, I know fighters who fight in the US, you never had to do it before. They could just get a normal eye test. And then um, after the whole thing with Bispin come out where you've been fighting with one eye, all of a sudden they changed it. And now you have to see a, um, optometrist. I think they're called. It's like, um, I probably got it wrong. It's like an eye surgeon it is. So not just, an, you can't just go to like a local, like before we just go to a local testing center, like a, like a, 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 normal, a normal spec savers and go, you pay like 30 pounds for an intensive test and they put drops in your eye and do test. And now you have to go to an eye surgeon and pay like anywhere between three to 500 pounds to get these special tests done, which is good because like long-term we're looking after our health. Um, like in the UFC, you're good as gold. Like before my last fight, um, I had COVID back in March. Um, I didn't have any side effects. I just had COVID in March. So um, I declared that the UFC. So they sent me for, like, I, I end up doing, like, tests on my heart, tests on my lungs, tests on different things. Um, just make sure that you fully fit. And they do look after the fighters. And, like, the after-fight medal is, is ridiculously good. No, but that's amazing to hear. I mean, you hear about, um, you know, fighters that for a very long time, they're fighting and continuing their day jobs because when you hear about oh my god they've just got a 50k bonus and all that kind of stuff the the last thing you think is that they're going to end up walking away with such a small amount of money in comparison to to what you're starting with especially when you are just on that kind of 10 and 10 to begin with and, and all that kind of stuff you you do imagine that people are walking away like 60 70,000 dollars richer and and that's not the 
the reality of the situation and there's so many fighters finding themselves in in financial difficulty trying to pursue a job that let's be honest if you're not training it constantly day in day out it's not just your career that falters your health is at risk as well because it is a dangerous sport so it's surprising to me that the medicals are paid for by the fighters and not by the organizations but i think it's really great to hear from a fighter how how the breakdown of that kind of pay works because it's very easy for people sat at home that do their day jobs monday to friday go oh i'd love to have earned 60k for you know 15 minutes in a fight or something but that's not the realities of it so i seen a discussion not long ago on an mma page that um i follow and um they were on about fighter pay and they said um how much do you think fighters should get paid and i seen someone commented saying i would fight anyone for 25 grand and it was like, oh, yeah, that's hell and good because then those are the people who think that they go from their their life and their day their day job now, where to 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 a fight where it's it's not the it's not the, the way. Like, so for me, like uh, out in Team Alpha at, at the moment, um, I'm looking at um, like when I the place I stay. Um, so like when I Airbnb, um, if my coaches come with me, um, you're looking at. I think when I paid for Airbnbs before, um, like I'm looking at probably £2,000 a month um, to stay, to to rent a house for a month. Um, Just for an Airbnb, like you can rent a normal house out out here for about £1,800 a month um, to to upwards to two and a half because it's California, the capital of California, do you know what I mean? So you're looking at, um, that's in dollars, but obviously when I do the Airbnb app, they charge me about 2,000 in pounds. So it's a, it's a bit more of the exchange rate, different things. But um, you're, t- you're looking about that per month, you're out in camp training. Um, then you look on your food, uh, your food bills and different things, like you're eating a diet, you're eating healthy, um, food's quite expensive out here. You're looking at spending probably between two, $300, perhaps more a week just on food. Then um, your training fees, like I pay a monthly fee to the gym to train. Um, it's, to be fair, they're quite good with me. They charge me um, the team fees now, but you add that on. Then um, I pay for two privates a month, one pad uh, a week, sorry, one one pad session um, with a friend of mine out out. Yeah, and then another one I do a wrestling pad session like I think when you you add it all up I spend like 150 pound a week just on privates um, or 130 then um, you add on your fees like when you fight you manage your fees your coaches fees different things um, your kit costs um, supplement costs to be fair I'm quite good UFC provide me with phone supplements um, so that makes a massive difference um, but like you start like so training fee, so to get back for the gym, um, I pay fuel costs. I bought a car out after one of my fights, so um, I use fuel costs. Do you know what I mean? Um, you add that on um, different things, and like you look at how much you're spending on different things, and like the lifestyle is different. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not exactly as if it's someone who works um, works in an office job, who they they're living as frivolous as possible, and they're trying to save money as much as possible, and different things. Like if I do that, like it, one, um, I don't perform, and two, uh, I'm not in peak physical health. Like you have, to, you have to do all these right decisions and like find the best places to train and the best places to fight and all these different things. And they cost money, and it, it is expensive being out there. And um, like people don't see that side of things. So, um, uh, so said, then I had another question asked me, and someone said, "Well, well, do you think fights should get paid more?" And I was like, "Well, 
of course, I'd love to get paid more money. I'd love to be paid like they do in basketball. Like we was watching um, uh, my friend out here loves basketball and um, he was watching um, basketball out, out here. And um, like there was, they had new signees in the M- NBA and they were paying them like, I think one of the new signings straight out of college had like an 18 million pound contract or something ridiculous. Like I'd love to be paid that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But yeah. um, it's just, it just, it doesn't work out. Like I went to a Bellator event, like I said, over the weekend and um, they, they pay more than UFC does straight up. They pay more, but um, they don't have the supplement stuff. They don't have the P the performance Institute. Like the PI is a wonder. The amount of tests and different things I've done in the PI makes a massive difference. They don't, they don't, um, there's no uniforms and stuff and like being able to to have like personalized UFC kit and different things like it's cool also you miss out on sponsors and certain people would earn more money with sponsors through there but most people aren't gonna earn more than you, you get through that like it's just it swings and roundabouts like you could get more money but then certain people aren't gonna get more money so it's you definitely do lose out on that side of things especially with Bellator but again it's another part of it but like the security is different the whole event has like a, a different theme like UFC is run way way more uh, more professional than the Bellator events are and it's like it, it all sort of it, it it all it all affects and like like the UFC do all, all the drug testing and Bellator don't um, the UFC drug testing that they pay for is going to cost thousands as well. So it does sort of like, I do understand where the money goes, but then um, when you look at like the UFC's just signed a new contract with the cryptocurrency sponsor for 110 million, um, it's not as if they couldn't break 1 million down and split it between the fighters as another bonus, mm. the same way they do with Venom. They just, they they could have, but um, I, I don't know. UFC is is definitely behind on on the payments side of things, and it would make things easier. But like I said, I don't I don't fight to get paid. Like um, it's just a bonus at the end of the day. Um, I try to build it up so that my sponsors cover all my costs, and I'm starting to get to that place where I am almost there. Um, it's cost me a lot of my savings. Um, but again, that's it's all in. That's that's where we got to be. Absolutely. Well, we're just approaching the hour, and uh, and, and and so. But before we uh, we love you and leave you, what's coming up? What's next? So I'm waiting to find out. Um, I actually haven't got any news. That's that's the truth. God's honest truth. <laughs> but um, uh, I've been cutting. I was cutting weight towards September the fourth in London. Um, I was hoping to get on that fight after after I fought in June. I asked to fight in August. Uh, my manager said no. He said the London card's been moved to September. He said we'll get you on the London card. Then they were trying to get me on the London card. And because it was already meant to be in August and they moved it to September, there was already people who had been promised show um, a fight on that card. So the card was pretty full. And then um, I spoke to my manager and I was like, look, just give me somewhere else. I'll fight in the States. I said, I don't care. I just want to fight. And he said, no. He said, I spoke to Sean, the matchmaker. And he said, um, he said we're still looking September the 4th, he said, because um, they've got some fights that haven't been confirmed yet. So they're hoping to get you on there. And then all the upheaval with the border crossing being closed and different things, they moved the card from London back to Vegas. So then um, I don't know what's happening with that. But I literally said, if it's if I'm still fighting September the 4th and they still want me to fight on that date, then I need to know by Saturday. But um, I haven't got anything confirmed. Um, I don't know what date we're looking at because... If I don't get put on the September 4th card, I don't know if any of the other cards have space to put me on, but I I, I want to fight soon. Um, so September, I'm looking at uh, preparing for September. My weight's coming down perfectly. Um, I'm starting to sort of rip up nice and um, I feel good. I've got no injuries, a um, couple of niggles, but nothing bad. And it's just pushing forwards and uh, 
getting our first win. Well, I mean, <laughs> my last fight should have been my first win. Yeah, I mean, it but should have been your first win. win. You you were dominating Completely that dominated. fight, and it was just really unfortunate what happened. Alan Patrick has has come out saying, I think quite early on after the fight, came out saying that rematch. he thinks you should have a rematch. I mean, it looked like one-way traffic to me. Do you look at that and go... I've basically beat you already or do you think no let's do a rematch then what do you feel about so, that Alan Patrick's got a six month medical suspension from where ah. I split his eye open with a knee so obviously I would love to fight again I'd love to um, it was going one way for me and it would give me confidence going back into that fight but waiting around for him to get medically cleared um, some time towards the end of the year is really on the agenda for me. So um, after I get this fight and I get a win, if they want to rematch me against Alan, then they can rematch me against Alan for January or February and I'll go again. But um, I want to get this fight out the way in September and then I can look at next year. Wonderful. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Mason, man. We, we, this has been such an insightful chat and it's been, it's been really great talking to you. No, I appreciate it, and I appreciate having me on. I do apologise for being there 30 minutes late. No, so I need worry. to run now, because now I'm running 30 minutes late. So. <laughs> oh, no. Brilliant. Mate, we're going to let you go. Thank you so, so much, much for your Mason. time. We really, really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll have you uh, on again in the future when uh, when you're on time. <laughs> anytime, mate. Anytime, and again, I do apologise. But yeah, I look forward to speaking to you in the future. Love it. No problems, man. All the best. Thanks, Mason. Have a good one. Bye, Thanks, mate. Bye, 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 bye. Bye. There you go. Oh, that was, I mean, I know you just literally said to him, you know, that was really insightful, but God, man, it really was, wasn't it? I did not expect him to, when I mentioned, you know, what were fight bonuses on your mind when, when you step in the octagon, I did not expect a huge, concise breakdown of what it costs to live as a fighter. It was fascinating. No, absolutely. And to be honest, I was aware that, you know, uh, as he mentioned, he was a little bit late and I thought he's probably late for what he has to do next, probably heading to the gym or something like that. But I could have really grilled him a little bit more about, about yeah. that, that stuff. He seemed very, like, open and friendly and just, like, as you say, very insightful chat about that stuff. I didn't expect him to go into that kind of detail with it, but it's really great to know. And I think it's eye-opening. And I hope people listening can can take that on board. And because it is very easy to sit at home and think, "Oh my God, there's some people that go out there. They're probably, you know, when you start off, we hear that you're on about ten and 10, 10, 10 grand for your show, ten grand for your win. If you've been around for a little while, you, you, even if you bump up after a, a couple of fights onto your second contract of maybe like twenty and twenty or twenty-five and twenty-five, you go out there you get a win and you're on 25 25 that's 50k say you get a bonus on top of that that's 100k say you knock the guy out within the first 30 seconds you've done 30 seconds work and you've got 100 grand that's amazing what an easy life no you've got all the training that's gone into that all of the costs of the training the costs of the medicals the costs of the the supplements the the costs of all of those those things that you're doing then you you know paying all your coaches and all that kind of stuff and and before you know it you pay tax on the money that again because people don't necessarily always understand what when you're self-employed you're paying tax on the money that comes in you then do, you know, you, you have your receipts for things that you have to do, and I'm sure that expenses with coaches and all that kind of stuff comes into that. But really and truly, you're still paying that money, and you're paying tax on a huge lump sum. So we hear these big figures, and it sounds great getting the bonus, but the realities of it is is that, you know, especially if you're doing your camps abroad and paying for yeah. flights and accommodation and stuff like that, 
that's huge man that, that is that is taking a big chunk out of your wages and he seems to have the great attitude of I don't fight for the money I'm getting to the stage where the money's hopefully taking care of all the basics and then I'm just fighting to compete which seems to be the right attitude and, and yeah it is that that attitude and that is you know complete focus isn't it it's like look I'm, I'm, I'm at the moment I'm not I'm not making serious money out of this but the money I make, I want to train at, you know, Team Alpha Mal. I want to get the best I can get, you know, which will then hopefully propel him to a place where the big money will come. Um, yeah, I mean, also, uh, I'm glad I wasn't drunk and uh, walking the streets of Newport nine years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Accidentally spilled one of his or his mate's pints. Jeez. Yeah, you don't you don't want to meet uh, Mason Jones's drunk mates whilst he's sober. <laughs> just like, this is not not what it's about. Uh, stay away from Mason Jones' friends in Newport. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, but it was a really lovely chat with him, and he seems to have the great great attitude and that drive and determination. You know, he's sacrificing a lot of his hobbies things that he likes to do that clearly have that kind of risk element to them that adrenaline element to them like skydiving and surfing and stuff like that and he's foregoing and, and the other one that was just jumping off bridges yeah. just love to jump off a bridge you know everything he was just really enough I was thinking god I'm boring <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to do any of that shit <laughs> give me like a nice hot chocolate and like a, a box set to watch guys that's all I'm into um but yeah, but he's sacrificing all of that because yeah. he knows that he doesn't want to get any silly injuries or anything like that. And um, I've got a weekend away with him and like Cowboy Cerrone would probably be something crazy, wouldn't it? <laughs> They're just Absolutely. going skydiving but, and doing crazy shit. But as you say, you know, well, as he said, you know, I've got nine years. I want to be done yeah. by 35. So, yeah. you know, to, all them sacrifices and all of that, you know, as you said, that bridge will be there then. That bridge it will is, be there it's, then, it's, yeah. you know, it is pure focus. And, yeah, what, what, a, what a top lad. And, uh, and also, um, if you enjoyed this episode, I should also say that um, we've spoke to uh, a, you know, a few great Welsh fighters now. We've had Jack Shaw on. We've had Brett Johns on. So go yeah. check out yeah. them, uh, them episodes. Um, and just better still subscribe. Then that way you won't miss any of it because... Well, if this is your first time listening, you've missed some crackers. Alexander Volkanovsky's been on. Tyron Woodley's been on. Who else we had on, Blake? We've had Kenny Florian, Angela Hill, Jojo Calderwood, Molly McCann, Paddy the Baddy, uh, Arnold Allen, Paul Craig, and then uh, yeah. people like John Gooden, UFC commentator, Mark Goddard, uh, referee extraordinaire. Yeah. Um, and then we've had the uh, episodes with uh, kind of well-known faces that you all know from the world of TV, music, uh, yeah. like James Arthur, Stephen Dorff, uh, my old Lee friend... Mac. Lee Mack. my old friend from yeah. the in-betweeners, uh, Emily Head, and Laura Checkley, star of King Gary, uh, where some of them are big UFC fans already, and we'll talk to them about what they love about the sport, and I'm sure that you can uh, uh, relate to a lot of what they're saying. And then we've got people that are not fans of MMA, have never really watched an MMA fight before, and we get them to watch a classic fight, and then we talk about their uh, opinions on what MMA was all about before watching the fight and then what they know it to be now after watching the fight so go and flick through all of those episodes and uh, and pick what tickles your fancy absolutely and what I will say as well is um, some of these you know they've, they've, I guess they're more date sensitive but we do um, pre and post shows as well uh, and for them pre-shows we always get a bit of a gang together and that gang is generally um, commentator Brian Lacey and super fan Scroobius Pip and they're a real crowd 
track them episodes, aren't they? We, 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 we look ahead and there's uh, lots of kind of uh, bants. Can we still use the word bants? Is bants still cool? I don't know. I'm 48. I don't know. Has bants ever been cool? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But there's... We have a laugh. <laughs> we have a laugh. We have a, we have a bit of a laugh. And uh, yeah, and we talk about the fights. So yeah, whenever there's a, a big pay-per-view, uh, we generally, not always, but we generally always, uh, generally always, but not always, I sounded like Boris Johnson, go to work, but don't go to work, but do go to work, but don't go to work. Whatever you do, don't go to work, but do go to work. Um, but uh, yeah. It's so, quite a good yeah. impression. Oh, thanks. Well, it's basically just copying Matt Lucas really but um, yes so do check those out we're digressing now this outro has gone on way too long exactly Guys, just subscribe that's all subscribe, we're saying subscribe follow us on the socials you won't miss an episode and uh, enjoy whatever we release next see you then we out <laughs>